that uh, whenever he gets up, he always pauses. And he says, let me take a good look at, at you people. Because, you know, when you get busy, you're a preacher. Sometimes you miss a lot of people when you're out. And I see a lot of familiar faces. I see some people I don't know, I'd like to get to know. But I know one thing. I see a lot of folks sitting in these pews that they have great hearts. They have a love of God, and I'm, I'm glad to be in your presence. I'm glad to know you. I'm glad to be your shepherd. And I'm glad that I, if I had to lay, my down, lay down my life for you, I would. Because I do love you. You turn to John chapter 13. We'll be in there um, quite a bit. This week we were, uh, midweek Bible class, we had a study and we were studying some things. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just wanted to kind of reiterate one thing out of that class and things Jeremy's been talking about the past few weeks is, um, in a Tuesday night study is, how easy we have things when it comes to faith, when it comes to Jesus, to God, to church. You've heard these missionaries the past few months, past month, talking about the trials that they go through and what people go through. And we have it just so easy. Like Jerry's mentioned, Jeremy's mentioned, God has already done all the heavy lifting. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. We, we have it pretty easy. We have to decide if we're going to wake up Sunday morning. Have you ever noticed you usually decide Sunday morning, you know, Saturday night, if you're going to wake up early enough Sunday morning? You ever notice that? Am I going to be inconvenienced in the morning that I could go or not go to church? We have it so easy. And you're, usually it's, things are easy because somebody has taught you these things, right? Someone has taught you uh, about Jesus or God and, and, and fulfilled all these basic um, requirements that you need to know. And they're fairly easy to follow. You know, in the Wayback Machine, right? Remember the Wayback Machine? All of you have lived there. Most of you live in the Wayback Machine. I graduated in the mid-80s. Okay? This is how tough we had it. I had to take typewriting in high school. Some of these folks have probably never seen a typewriter, right? I remember my typewriting teacher, and she was a classic secretary out of the 40s, I think. I mean, that's exactly what she looked like from the movies. That's, that was her. And we had it so difficult. Not only did we have to use a typewriter to, to type papers and stuff without errors, you know, and, and pass a class with so many words a minute. Can you believe that? When we ended a sentence, we put two spaces after it, not just one. You believe that? 
I had to push that button an extra time every time I got to a period. That's how tough it was. I remember a couple, you know, when Lisa and I were first married the first year, we lived, uh, we lived in Missouri and it's, we were lived in a hilly part. And we lived at this house and down at the bottom of the hill was a pond. And I used to go fishing in that pond. One day I was down there fishing. And I'd spend Saturdays afternoons down there. And this young couple that rented off the same property, you know, were nearby. And all of a sudden I see him at the top of the hill walk down towards the pond. And he wasn't carrying a fishing pole. So I knew he wanted something, right? Help with something or whatever. Well, again, in the way back machine, I used to be a mechanic, okay, a long time ago. And so I knew a thing or two about mechanics, and this guy came down and was having an issue and was trying to get all the information he could to help him solve this problem with his vehicle. And we had talked about it for a while. He needed these parts. He needed these tools. And he, would, he said, okay, blah, 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 and he started up the hill. Well, I let him get almost to the very top. And I yelled at him. I said, hey, when you get stuck with that little bitty part that you need to take off and can't take it off after a day and a half, come and see me. Here he come back down the hill. Because he wanted me to help him, right? And I did, and I told him, okay, here's how you take that little bitty part off. It'll save you, it's so simple. It's stupid simple, but you wouldn't have got it in a day and a half, right? But see, that's, that's how hard we had it growing up. Somebody had to tell us, somebody had to instruct us. We didn't have the Google, right? Right now, if you want to know how to do something, what do you do? Do the Google, right? Is that not what we do? You can take up our, you can, Make cookies, you can build a spacecraft, you can do anything off of Google. That's how easy we have it. And I think that's, that's almost exactly the same <clears throat> that we have here in Scripture. Understanding the things about Jesus. So Wednesday night we talked about, we talked about um, passage in Hebrews that these things of faith and of Jesus are the elementary principles that he tells us to move on from, okay? Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead, dead works, and faith toward God. It's kind of amazing that, you know, faith, at least in this passage, is considered an elementary principle. Elementary was a long time ago. But I remember it, even then, it was not that difficult. Okay? School didn't get difficult until, you know, they made me add stuff. You know, that was maybe when it got hard. But in an elementary, these are basic principles that us as Christians, we should be moving on from. 
We shouldn't be dwelling on these things all the time. You know, like, does Jesus love me? Does God love me? Well, that's a principle that if you're convicted of Christ as the Messiah, as a deliverer, there are no questions. The basic principles already take care of all of that. Of course he loves you. Of course God loves you. We don't need to beat that horse every time we have an issue. I don't want you to take it for granted either. But we don't need to dwell on those things. Make our whole life about those things. Because we already know these principles. And we need to move on. Now, it's fair that some people struggle with these things. We have biblical, many biblical examples of people struggling with these things. But they were prior, if you will, to the mystery being revealed to the faithful. Right? We look at Hebrews and, and uh, what we consider those that are, you know, of great name, of great actions, and consider their faith, but yet it was a mystery to them. And even, even in John, we're going to start, let's see. I'd turn your page to John 14. We'll start there. In verse 8, it says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Show us the Father, Jesus. Can you imagine how much pain that cost, you know, was felt by Jesus? How much agony it caused him to get that question from or a statement from Philip. Jesus is sitting there thinking, I can't think for Jesus, but I would assume he's thinking, I've been here. You've seen almost every miracle I've performed, and yet you don't know who I am, who the Father is? It's, it's very... It's a very basic thing, isn't it? It's a basic thing that we look at that, well, it should have been obvious. It should have been elementary that you should know who the Father is. You should know who the Messiah is. And he, and he tells them that. He says, have I been with you? I'm sorry, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Not only that you do not know the Father, but you don't know me. You don't know who I am. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And I don't want us to be in that same situation. I know things get difficult. We go through trials. We go through death of loved ones. We go through illnesses that are terrible. We've lived through two years of craziness. 
And then the question becomes, is there a God? Or what's God's plan for me? Or does he have a plan for me? I think the Father, I think the Son has already showed us, shown us of this basic plan that doesn't change. We look at uh, further on, we get to uh, verse 15. Well, look at, let's, before we do that, turn back the page to chapter 13, if it's on a page. Philip says, show me the Father, show us the Father. And all these things that we'd already seen, right? We'd seen him feed thousands. We've seen paralyzed people walk. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen it all, right? John notes there's even more stuff that happened that is not even on the paper. That these, these men had seen. But I think probably one of the most important things is in chapter 13. We all know the story. This is after... Jesus has entered Jerusalem. And essentially this is, you know, it's actually Jesus taking over the city as the king. Okay? It's, we call it the triumphal entry, don't we? Where he rides his donkey into the city. And the people are shouting Hosanna. And they just, this is what you do for a king. Not the type they had anticipated, but this is, already, this is already past that, right? So Jesus is in the upper room or where they would uh, eaten. And Jesus, knowing that, this is uh, verse 3 of 13, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Another basic principle. Who is Jesus? Where did he come from? Well, one, he's heavenly or God, and he's going back to God. That answers a lot of questions. We shouldn't have a whole lot of confusion about that. Rose from, the, rose from her supper, and he laid aside his outer garments and took a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, Remember what we just talked about? The king took off his outer garment and performed the actions of a slave. Someone much less than he. This is probably one of the greatest examples that we have of who Jesus is. But did they see the elementary principle that was happening to them? No. Even Peter, you know, Peter's a mess at times. But even he says, you know, don't, don't wash me. You know, that's, that's, below your, that's below your position, right? Don't do that. But Jesus again insists on doing it. And then verse 12, it says, when he had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Well, apparently not, right? Peter didn't get the message. 
It's all about being humble. It's all about being submissive and doing your job. I think sometimes we run away with the, we either run away with the elementary principles or we make things too complicated. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably stuck in some of those as well. I mean, Otis talked about that this morning. We sometimes just make things too complicated. You call me, in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Okay, you remember these men? They were a bunch, uh, they were a ragged crew. Let's put it that way, right? When you think about it. One guy was a taxpayer, right? He is the low of low in that society. He was considered a traitor among his nation. The other guys were fishermen, and they always smelled like fish. I don't know. They just, you're, you're one guy, Jesus was a carpenter. We got a ragtag group here, and I'm not sure who in this group was washing whose feet. I'm not going to touch his feet. That's even below me. But Jesus says, look, look at the example I've given you, and Follow it because everyone has, uh, you call me teacher and Lord, right? Yet I did it. I humbled myself to do it. So why won't you do it? Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus, again, being Lord, Master, and Messenger, says if you follow these, if you do them, then you are right with that position. Well, if Jesus did it, did it then I need to do it. I need to be humble. I need not elevate myself above anyone else. Maybe do the things I don't want to do. And what were these things? There are all these things that Jesus talked about. Turn the page to chapter, four, uh, chapter 14 again. And I love this uh, verse 15. We talk about it a lot. But it's an elementary principle that we should practice and really have no question about. Right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Seems pretty simple. What did Jesus just do? Humbled himself. If you love me, you'll do exactly what I did. 
You'll do the things that I told you to do. It's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. But we should be moving beyond those things. Those things should already be in our pockets. Serving one another, loving one another. All of those things that, that Jesus displayed through love, that should be a gimme. I will, this passage kind of is interesting. Um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And you gather the importance of that. This helper. Who is this helper? It's the Spirit, isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit. Do you know how much help you have to move beyond the elementary things? You're saying, well, Chris, I can't do these things. I don't know how that's possible because you have God in you. You have the Spirit within you. God has seen it within His providence that the only way that we can exist and be in favor with God is that He had to part with some of Himself and it resides in you. You ever think about that? It's just not me, my physical capabilities or, or my mentality or my ingenuity or whatever, whatever you think you have. It really has nothing to do with that. Because it's about, this is about salvation. How are we getting to heaven? And it's interesting in this passage that uh, we receive the Spirit whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Philip, have I been with you so long you don't know me? How about us? Have we been with him so long, God with us, and he not know us? These things... Should be part of us. They're the building of blocks of who we are. Okay? He says, I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will come to you. Let a little while, and the world will see me no more, and you will see me because I live, you also will live. You may have thought physically. You know, that it meant something that my body was destroyed, if you will, and put in a hole. But it really doesn't mean anything because I still live. And more importantly, because I live, you get to live as well. And I'm going to deposit something within you so you can continue. You can survive. Because the world doesn't see any of this. 
how he goes on and says, um, Oh, Judas asked the question. Well, how, here, of course he knows Judas is going to betray him, but he says, how is this going to be manifested to us? And a second time he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Again, you don't believe it was me? If you love me, the father will love you. Okay, am I in God's favor? Yes. If I've accepted Jesus as Lord and love him and do his commandments, I am in his favor, no matter what. Isn't that amazing? We think at times we fall in and out of favor. Well, not quite. It doesn't work that way. We still have the Spirit. We still have this connection with God. We still have God. Which is greater than people have had in the past. Before we get there, continue on to verse, uh, let's see, 23. Well, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come up Come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that he hears is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. If you love me and you do my commandments, you're actually doing the words of my Father. And he wants to love you more than anything else. So three times he goes through this passage. It's 15, 21, and 23. You know, do you love me? Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You turn a couple of pages and you're in what? John 21 and Jesus and Peter. And Peter is like, Jesus, you know, this is how hard we have it, right? We have to read the Bible to get this. You guys have the commercial now. You see, have you seen the Gronk commercial? Don't you love me, man? Right? Jesus asks, do you love me to Peter? Peter goes, of course you know I love you. Right? Well, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times he says, Ask him if he loves them. Then do what I tell you to do. Do what I want you to do. And you'll receive the love of him, Jesus, the Father, and get this dwelling of the Spirit. Now, we talked about... uh, This whole message, by the way, is brought to you by Robin Franks. She asked me for a passage earlier this week, and I said, I don't know, pick one. So she picked one, and this is what we got. 
okay? So we talked about this uh, Psalm 51, right? We read that in our reading. But you remember, Psalm 51 is a psalm of David after Nathan visits him, okay? Nathan tells him this story. You remember this? Nathan tells him the story about this guy who has a bunch of sheep. But he doesn't want to bother with his sheep, so he steals the, the little lamb from this one guy that has just one, one lamb. And the whole story, David gets out of whack and he goes, this guy should die for that. He should die. That was unjust. And then Nathan, of course, comes back and he says, well, you know that guy is you. Because you stole the wife of another, another man. And David says, David said to Nathan in verse uh, uh, 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You know what that meant to David? I should die. I should be put to death. He knew what it meant. You talk about having it rough in the old days. David sinned and went, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. I deserve death. But God, Nathan says to him, um, or he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, there's a whole theological discussion about why David shouldn't die because of his sin. But Nathan tells him, no, you won't. God has a plan for you. Even though you should die, God's not going to let it happen. Now, there is a consequence. You're going to lose your son, right? And he loses his son, and he, he fasts for days. I can't remember how many days it is. He fasts for days, and he's weak, and his people are trying to get him up, and he won't eat food, and so forth and so on. He suffers because of his sin. But David knew he should have died. Back in Matthew, he says, verse uh, 27 to 14, says, Peace I live, I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. Because it could have been a horrible thing. If we had not known Jesus, we had not known the Father, not taken on his spirit, people, we wouldn't have peace. God left peace between us, or Jesus left peace between us and God. We deserve to die as well. That's what should have happened. But because He came, and because He loved us, He leaves us with peace. See how simple we got it? 
David's in agony over there. And we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for getting me through that little sin I had. And giving me peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let those elementary things about questioning whether God loves you, about who Jesus is, about what I need to do. These are very basic things. Don't let those get you down. Don't let them dishearten you. Don't let them trouble you. Because it's already been taken care of. So I hope when we read this passage again, Psalm 51, 10 through 12, it's, I think it's there to comfort us. I really think it is. But when you look at it from David's perspective, he deserved to die. He had deserved to be taken out of the city and stoned. He was the king. He could have made it happen. Well, sort of. God was in control of that situation. But you see what his mentality was when he wrote this? His mentality maybe has changed here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, folks, we got it easy. We're on this side of the mystery and know that Jesus and His love for us was directly from the Father. And if we do the simple things that it already told us, follow my commands. Follow the elementary things and let's move on. That we'll be saved. And I, I hope when you read this poetry, as you will throughout this uh, life group study, that you look at the man, David, and say, there's a different perspective there. And I need to understand it. Dive into it. And I really hope you enjoy the life groups and the, and the folks you have, they're good people. Get to know them, get to love them. Okay? Again, the message is clear. To love Jesus is to do His commands. To do His commands is to love Jesus. And to do both of those is to love the Father and to find favor with the Father. So if there's a question today in your heart or on your mind about where am I in life? What do I need to do? If we need to go over the elementary principles, let's do that. Let's get together and talk about it. Because your life, is, your life is worth everything that Christ went through. 
okay? Everything. That no man should be lost and come to the Father. So if you have a need, please stand and uh, come forward as we sing.